Welcome into the PFN Bengals podcast. I am Dallas Robinson. He is Jay Morrison. Jay, we don't have any football games to talk about this week that are coming up, but we do have stuff to look back at. Title games are done. We know who the Super Bowl teams are going to be. Chiefs versus 49ers coming up in about a week and a half now. We've got a lot of takeaways that we can talk about for the Bengals for these games. We know the Bengals are not going to be participating, unfortunately, in this year's Super Bowl, but how the 49ers, how the Chiefs, and the Lions and Ravens, frankly, the, the two other teams that were in these title games, how they were built, kind of look at how that can affect the Bengals. But what a weekend of football. So, some very interesting games, especially the NFC title game, Jay. I mean, very, very fun weekend to watch. Yeah, it really was. Um I got what I want. You know, I mentioned last week, I like the, the late drama, the overtime. We didn't get that quite, but it's still, I I love divisional weekend. Uh, I love conference championship weekend too, mm-hmm. because there, there's so much you can learn from the teams that get there. Uh, not just this year, but you, you know, look over like a three, four year trend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just the games are always like, you rarely see a blowout in, in these games. And um, there's just, it's just, it's, good football it's smart football i know some people might disagree with that the, <laughs> the anti-analytics crowd but yeah there was there was a, a lot to like about watching those games if you don't have a dog in the fight i know a lot of Bengals fans struggled with the fact that who do you root for versus the chiefs and the mm-hmm. ravens they don't like either one of them um, i don't know where people settled on that but um it was it was an entertaining week and it's it's interesting because you look the two teams that survived the chiefs and the 49ers and really they can kind of credit the Bengals with with kickstarting where they're at right now uh, because if you remember that the the Bengals went out to San Francisco and beat the 49ers the week before their bye and before the 49ers bye mm-hmm. and that, that was the 49ers third straight loss and they changed some things after they saw, I mean, the way the Bengals handled them, one of the best games Joe Burrows had in his career. Um, and then the 49ers come out after that, win six straight, nine of 11. Here they are in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Bengals and Chiefs met a little bit later, but the Chiefs were kind of floundering. People are like, uh-oh, there's, there's a shot here that, that Denver could catch them. Or, or you know, was it the Raiders at the time? I can't remember, but they, were, they didn't have anything wrapped up. And then yeah. that, that week 17 game against the Bengals – they they fell behind. They came back. They took the lead. Haven't lost since. What they've won five in a row now. That the Bengals kind of started mm-hmm. their run as well. So, you know, I, I guess a small consolation prize to, to say that you know even though the Chiefs beat the Raiders, the, the, even though the Bengals lost to the Chiefs but beat the 49ers, mm-hmm. those two games I really kind of think kind of set these teams on their path to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it feels like the Bengals gave those two teams kind of a shot in the arm, and I, I don't know how Bengals fans feel about that. <laughs> do, we, do, we feel, do we feel good about that? Do we feel bad about that? I, it's kind of unclear. Uh, but yeah, these games were very interesting, I, I thought, and we wanted to talk about kind of what the Bengals could take away from this. Like, What, what lessons could they learn, whether that's on field, whether that's from a team-building perspective? The, these were the four best teams in the NFL this year, I, I would say, among the four, and there are lessons the Bengals can take away, I think, Jay, from from how these teams were built. And we just kind of want to look at wait, maybe even this offseason, are there specific things the Bengals could take in how they develop their roster? Um, I'll start with my first takeaway, Jay, from this from this game. It's not necessarily a team building uh, anecdote, but it's how it's how the AFC is kind of viewed. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are still number one in the AFC. And it, it, it's it, it's not a necessarily a debatable point at this point. I mean, it, how could you say anything otherwise? It's the AFC is still going to run through the Chiefs. However, 
I think you can easily say the Bengals should be viewed as the number two team in the conference right now. The Ravens still cannot get past Patrick Mahomes, even a watered-down version of the Chiefs this year. Belt Lamar Jackson, in a presumptive MVP season, could not get past Patrick Mahomes. The Bills, Patrick Mahomes is, is their eternal boogeyman. He can never get past him. They, they can never get past him in the playoffs. The Dolphins lost twice this season, once in the regular season, once in the playoffs. What other team in the AFC would you would you put at number two right now? The, the Jets next year with Aaron Rodgers coming back? The Chargers with Jim Harbaugh? The, the Browns with their issues at quarterback? The Bengals are the only team that have really gotten past Mahomes and the Chiefs at this point. I, I feel like it's hard to say there's any other team besides the Bengals, even though I know Joe Burrow's going to be coming off an injury and the Bengals had their issues this season. Going into next year, I think you have to say the Bengals are number two behind the Chiefs in the AFC. Yeah, I think you can you could put the Bills in there. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen with their offseason, but I I think they're they're closer to to being in that mix than not being in that mix. But that was that was one of my kind of takeaways too. Is you I mean everybody knows that it starts and ends with quarterback play, but you you need a guy that that can handle the moment. Mm-hmm. You need a quarterback that that is not going to get flustered, and that's. That's been a knock on Lamar. He was not himself. He made some really strange decisions in that game. Todd Monken made some really strange decisions game-wise <laughs> to kind of put Lamar in those. But you never see – I mean, it, it, when the Bengals lose big games, a lot of times it's, you know, they, they can't protect Burrow. They're, they're the defense, they, there's other issues. It's never – it mm-hmm. never falls on Burrow's shoulders. And I felt like a lot of that loss fell on Lamar's shoulders. And – um, you know, there, there's a reason. And, and even with that, I think I don't think Josh Allen shrinks in those moments, but he, he is the reason for some of those losses. Now, mm. not, maybe not this most recent one. I thought he played great against Kansas City, but but his willingness to put the ball in danger and those type of things. It's there, there's all these quarterbacks have that that little issue that 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 grows yeah. in, in, in the bigger games and. You just don't see that with Burrow, and and I think for that reason that that you're right that that the, the Bengals and Chiefs still are the two teams, and and you know it's not like I don't know that Lamar is going to be like this for the duration of his career. There's mm. there's an arc that these guys have to go through, and you got to get you know it's the first time in a championship game, and yeah. you know probably learned some lessons there. You know not everybody's Joe Burrow and goes in and wins his first AFC championship game. Um, Mahomes didn't do it. He lost to Manning or to, right. Brady, to Brady, and yeah. then he and then he started on his role. So uh, I'm not willing to cast the Ravens aside, but the way it is right now, I'm with you. I, I think it's it's Bengals and Chiefs at the top right now. And I'm and I think a lot of people are kind of maybe not forgetting about Joe Burrow and just how good he is, but you see a lot of QB rankings this time of year that mm-hmm. don't have him anywhere near the top five, and it, it's like. Yeah, I know he was injured last year, but I, I think people are forgetting just how effective and efficient he is when, he, when he's healthy. Uh, Jay, what, what's uh, give me another takeaway from these games from this weekend. Well, before I get to my first takeaway, I, this might surprise you, but I've got a stat. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, <laughs> I just I, – I, I mean, so the, we mentioned it. They, the Bengals have played the Chiefs. They played the 49ers. So they are guaranteed that this will be the 30th time in, in 56 seasons that – that they have played the Super Bowl champion at some point before the Super Bowl. Okay. Um, it's not <laughs> there's seven there's seven and thirty in those games, oh. and, and and the reason why it doesn't add up to thirty is because a lot of those were 
were teams they they played multiple times. You know, for like the Steelers, for instance, in in 2015, they played yeah. three times. They played right, twice right. in the regular season, once in the playoffs. So only twice in franchise history have the Bengals beaten an eventual Super Bowl champion without also losing to them. You know, take out all the splits against division opponents. Mm. Um, one of them was very recent. One of them was was a little bit further back. To, to, can you? Oh man! Can you? How far back are we talking? We're talking way, way back. We're talking recent history. We are we are talking talking since Paycor Stadium was built. Ah, okay. So this was it's since two thousand. Okay. Um, again, you, you don't have to go back very far at all. Oh man! For the first one, it's it's, it's not the Ravens. It can't be the Ravens. No. Nah. Last year they beat the Chiefs in the oh yeah season. obviously yeah and then lost to them um, so and I guess yeah technically that's that's one and one because they lost to them in the AFC Championship yeah. game so really there's there's only one where they they beat them once the only time they played them um, oh man I'm trying to think. God, you're putting me on the spot here, Jay. I have yeah, no idea. Let's just, it? it was the start of something special. It was oh, the, the, two, Patriots, the Patriots. Yes, yes. the 2001 season Man, opener. Okay. Okay. They beat the Patriots with Drew Bledsoe. It was two days before mm. 9-11. The world changed after that. Yes. The Patriots changed after that because in week two, that's when Mo Lewis, Mo Lewis of the Jets blasted Bledsoe. Brady came in, and the rest is history. So. That is it. The 2001 is the only time in franchise history wow. they, they beat an eventual super champion, Super Bowl champion, without also losing to them. So I mean, the Bengals were kind of the impetus for the 49ers and Chiefs this year. They were the impetus for the Patriots dynasty. It sounds like. I mean, what, yeah. this is the, the Forrest Gump of NFL teams here. They're involved <laughs> in every single event in history. That's crazy. Yeah, that's very interesting. So if, I, if I'm going to go to my first takeaway, yeah. it, it, it wasn't a an overarching theme. But it was something that was really noticeable because I, when I was telling people, I know we did our predictions last week, and I, 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 I picked the Ravens, mm. and I had it in a closer game. As the week went on, as I started seeing the injuries coming in, I was telling everybody, I don't even think that game's gonna be close. I think Baltimore's gonna handle them easy. Mm. Um, I'm glad those were just person-to-person conversations <laughs> and not on the record somewhere yeah. where people can throw it back in my face. But the the one that I really thought was gonna be the downfall, of the Chiefs, was the loss of Joe Tooney, the the guard. Mm an amazing player and Nick Allegretti came in and was fantastic in pass protection. And I mean, that's a really good Baltimore defense. Obviously it is a really good pass rush and he, that whole offensive line did a fantastic job. And so kind of that, that's where I'll start is it's not just O line play. It's depth. Mm -hmm. You, you look at the Bengals O line right now and you're like, okay, their starters are good enough. They're, they can get them where they need to go. What's behind them? That's the big question. Not every year are you going to have all all five guys start all 17 games. And so to have a guy like Allegretti come in and be able to play like that in a huge spot, I just thought it was huge. And 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 part of it, too, is just the, the you know, the Bengals have, have never – they're starting to turn a little bit with, with um, the way they went out and, and got Kappa, but they've just never really valued the, the guard position. And – you know, I just tweeted out, I retweeted the Ravens. Uh, Kevin Zeitler, their 2000, the Bengals' 2012 first-round pick, was fantastic here. Mm-hmm. Should have been going to Pro Bowls. Um, they let him walk after the fifth-year option. Didn't want to play, pay a guard market value. 
Um, you know, maybe maybe that is something that needs to start changing and, and they need to start valuing the interior positions more because Joe Joe Burrow's been open about it. He guys rushing off the edge, fine. I can handle that. What really gets to him is the the pass rush up the middle that, that affects his vision, moves him off the spot, all of those. So um, I just I was I was really impressed with with the way Allegretti was able to replace a very very good guard in Joe Tooney. I think that's a great point because Joe Tooney was a first team All Pro. This mm-hmm. is this is not just losing some you know league average starter. This is a really really good player you're trying to appra- replace. And and Baltimore's defense has Justin Matabuike in the middle, who I, I don't remember yes. if he was a first team All Pro, but he's going to make about what twenty plus million dollars mm-hmm. as a free agent defensive tackle this year. So I, I think that's a great point, Jay, is, is to have that that depth and starting ability in the middle is really, really critical. I'm going to I'm going to go to one of mine that is more team building as well. I think the Bengals should consider at least consider the idea of adding veteran free agents as the summer progresses before before training camp gets started. The Bengals did not sign a single veteran, I, I don't believe, after adding Trevor Simeon in May. They didn't sign like an established high quality veteran depth piece after May. Look at what the Baltimore Ravens were able to do after May, Jay. Rocky Asin was signed in May, cornerback who played time. Sam Mustafer is a center who came in. He signed in May. Arthur Millette played a lot for them. He played in July, or he signed in July. Jadavion Clowney didn't sign until August. He was he was absolutely incredible. Had a career year. Ronald Darby was a starter at times at corner. He signed in August. Kyle Van Noy signed in September to the practice squad. Mm-hmm. It, it, he had a real role. He was one of their top addressers all season. I, I think this is an area where the Bengals could maybe look to build up their depth. There are always these older veteran guys who are just looking to find a role at some point as training camp approaches. I think that's an area where you can really kind of find guys on the cheap if you have a specific targeted job that you want them to play on your roster. You can't just sign these guys and say, hey, you're going to do this. and this. You have to have a specific role, I think, that you say, hey, we're going to put you in the best position. Arthur Millette's a great, a great example. The, bank, the, the Ravens play two different nickel packages in, in coverage. Arthur Millette plays in one of them. He plays the slot in one of them. Kyle Hamilton plays the slot in the other one. That's a specific role that they signed Arthur Millette for because he can play that. He's good against the run. He's a good blitzer from the slot. And he's very, very cheap. I think that's the kind of things the Bengals could do. They could add these kind of depth pieces right at the end of the summer, at least explore that idea. I'm not saying you have to go out and sign five, 10 guys like the Ravens did, but at least be open to the idea of adding depth as training camp approaches. And they're going to need depth at corner, and Millette is going to be a free agent again this year. So Certainly that's a, will. It's a good point, and I think last year the Burrow situation hamstrung a little bit. It, it was they yeah. they they didn't feel like they could make moves. I mean, they could have, but you just you want to know where that's going to settle. And it it went all the way up to the opening night of the season before they got the Burrow deal done, and then it was. You know, you mentioned you can still bring in guys at that point, but really it was slim pickings at that point, and it. It's good. I mean, first and foremost, and a guy that gets signed after the 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 free agency first, second, third wave. I mean, we're talking DJ Reader for sure. That's mm-hmm. it would just make so much sense. And who knows? Maybe a team just trusts that that he's going to be ready, and and they're not too concerned about the physical. But I would think someone his age with that injury history, going through it on each leg, the yeah. quad, that that teams are going to want to wait him out. And I just I think he is a would be a, a fantastic piece for the Bengals to bring back in that role where you said, you know, closer to the start of camp, mm-hmm. the veterans that are bring him off the street closer to the start of, of, of training camp and, and let him go. And I, I, 
You know, I, I do. I, they, they've got money available. They'll. I don't know that they're going to go the distance on Jamar Chase like they did with with Joe Burrow last year and the the Higgins thing. Yeah. What is that? I think July fifteenth is when they have to agree to an extension, or <laughs> yes. that he would just write it out. So um, there'll be some opportunity there to to get some guys, um, and especially when you just look around the league and as many teams that are strapped. I. There's always spending in free agency, but I do. You're starting to see more and more of those kind of guys available mm-hmm. later in the process that that can really help teams. And the good thing is too, if you sign them after I think it's May first or May fifth, they don't count against the NFL compensatory pick formula, which mm-hmm. the Ravens obviously know they've taken advantage of that for yeah. years to get extra picks, and, and the Bengals could too. Uh, Jay, give me another takeaway from these games. What's your number two? Yeah, just running the ball and stopping the run still matters. You, you got to be able to do it. And I mean, start with Pacheco and, and another guy that was injured and came in and played really well. Do the Ravens win that game if if they run the ball the way they have in the regular? It was just really weird that they kind of went away from it. And I, I just you you don't have to to be a 30, 35 run team, but you got to be able to do it. You mm-hmm. you're either going to have to do it to keep the other team honest or you're going to have to do it to close out a game and, and to get that first down and to, the, to drain the clock. And, yeah. you know, look, McCaffrey is so dynamic. Pacheco is incredible. The two-headed monster in Detroit, even though they lost. I mean, Gibbs, despite the fumble, David Montgomery. It, it just – that is – I don't know. I don't want to say it's always going to be, but, but mm. running the ball and then being able to stop the run is always going to be a huge – formula in the postseason it may not be the most important thing it's I, I don't know that we're ever going to go back from quarterbacks and wide receivers dominating but you still have to be able to do it you have to be more balanced and it's something the Bengals are going to have to look at this year because and they know it they, they need to get more explosive they need to revamp that run game but it, it was it's just something that really stood out when you look at the way those offenses were constructed and their ability to run the ball both in terms of balance and when they had to get it done yeah, I, I could not. You mentioned it before that the, the Ravens game plan to, to the lack of rushing attempts. I could not believe. I mean, that, that that's the Chiefs primary weakness on defense. The Ravens are known as one of the best running teams in the NFL, and they just did not commit to it at all. I, I it was flabbergasted by that by that game plan. And then, yeah, I agree. I, I think in terms of just having the right players, in terms of building up the offensive line, and you look at someone like Detroit, I think, with Ben Johnson calling the plays, who they run basically every single run concept under the mode, right? They run pin-pole, they run they run duo, they run outside stuff, they run zone stuff, they run gap stuff, they run everything. And I think that type of creativity, flexibility, whatever you want to call it, that, that's really important, I think, to get the looks that you want in the run game and to get the kind of advantages in terms of box sizes and body counts that you want to get those to get the looks that you want to run against, I think is important, too. Um, let me do my next takeaway, Jay. Gotta, Bengals got to find a damn tight end. That's that's a, that's my <laughs> takeaway. For the, look at the tight ends who were in this in, in this in this group of four teams. Yeah. Travis Kelsey, third round pick. George Kittle, fifth round pick. Mark Andrews, third round pick. Sam Laporta, second round pick. Even Isaiah Likely was a fourth round pick. You don't have to draft these guys in the first round. I, I feel like I've been saying this for years that the Bengals can take a, a tight end plan where 
there are veteran tight ends who want to come play with Joe Burrow, obviously. You can sign guys on one-year deals who want to come and build up their statistics every year. While you're doing that, you've got to go out and draft some people, <laughs> whether it's the third, fourth, or fifth round. Go find an athletic specimen and just hope that you find that next guy. You know, and, and some of these teams in, in Kansas City, kind of in Baltimore until Zay Flowers got there, that the tight end is the de facto wide re- number one wide receiver on, on these offenses, right? That's what Travis Kelsey has been. That's never going to be the case in Cincinnati as long as Jamar Chase is here, right. especially while T. Higgins is here. It's never going to be to that point where tight end is, the offense is running through a tight end in this Bengals offense, I, I don't believe. Um, but that does not mean you can't go out and try to find somebody to add to this offense. That I, I wouldn't say the San Francisco 49ers offense necessarily runs through George Kittle, but wouldn't you love to have a, type, a George Kittle-type player in this Bengals offense? I, I think I certainly would. I, I think that's got to be an area of focus for the Bengals this offseason. And like I said, it doesn't have to be with pick 18. This can be a second, third, fourth round thing that they do. Just just take a take a swing. That's all I'm asking, Bengals. Take a chance on a tight end. Yeah, because, I mean, you're, you're right. You, you don't need a, a Travis Kelsey that can just dominate a game. But, uh, I mean, it's nice to have when you need it. I mean, Bengals fans have seen it with Kittle where – if you take everything else away, that tight end can light you up like he did in that in that game in 2021 in Cincinnati. And it, these teams aren't just coming into the real, realization that tight ends matter. I mean, mm. the Lions took Hawkinson in the first round, and then he leaves, and they, they go right back out and get one in the second round in Laporta. Yeah. And really, what was it? It was it was early second round, if I yeah. remember. I mean, he was close to being a, a first-round pick. And then same with the Ravens. They take Hayden Hurst in the first round. They back him up with Andrews. And then now they back him up with Likely, even though he mm-hmm. was fourth round. They, they, these teams value that position, and it does make a difference. That was one of the ones I had on on my list as well, is that you you can't – I don't, I don't want to say punt, but you just can't roll the dice like they did this year. Yeah. Um, what they did the last couple of years, and, and I think they they got spoiled by it. Where you know CJ Uzama, fifth round pick, mm-hmm. it, Burrow turns him into this not a star, but a big role. Gets him paid big time. <clears throat> Excuse me, Hayden Hurst was a first round pick, but he kind of fell off. He was yeah. he was a guy that was just out there in free agency. They were able to get cheap, and then and Burrow gives him a, a year a, that lands him a huge contract. And I just felt they kind of got complacent and said Burrow can make any tight end great and and we found out that is not the case and part of it was because Burrow wasn't Burrow all year but I don't know that even if he was if Irv Smith was going to have a great year for this team so um, major I think they learned the lesson before watching these final four games but that drove it home even more and the tight end market too the thing is if you hit on one of these tight ends Tight ends don't make nearly as much as wide receivers. You know, like even Travis Kelsey's only making $14 million a year. Yeah. The, the market is not there. So, like, if you f- hit on one of these guys and can extend them early, you, you've got yourself a really good discounted asset for a long time. Um, can, I get, can I give my next takeaway? Because it's kind of related to this yeah. tight end group. I would say the Bengals need to not be afraid to adapt and use different personnel groupings. They, they are one of the most, uh, the highest use of 11 personnel with three wide receivers in the league. We, we know that's what Zach Taylor likes to do. He comes from the Rams system that uses a lot of three wide receiver personnel. The Chiefs used to do that too, but they've adapted since tra- trading Tyreek Hill, right? They, they used 12 or 13 personnel, which is two tight ends or three tight ends, on almost 50% of their plays against the Ravens, according to True Media. This is not a new trend either, because Kansas City had used those same formations on over a quarter of its plays during the regular season. So this is a shift that's been going on all year. I, I think it started even last year too. 
And it's not just lining up to kind of pound the rock as what you might imagine, a, you know, two or three tight ends all were clearly running the ball. No, the Chiefs passed out of those formations on 62.8% of their plays. So they're running all sorts of concepts. I, I didn't look up the play action numbers, but I'm sure there's a ton of play action out of those looks. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's an interesting just kind of concept of, okay, that, that doesn't mean the Bengals have to let T. Higgins walk this season and devote to a, commit to a 12, a 12 or 13 personnel. But if T. Higgins eventually walks and the Bengals have to kind of reimagine what this offense looks like, what do you, what do you what are the ideas that you might start to borrow? Maybe using 12 and 13 personnel is a way you could go. We talked earlier, Jay, about trying to get the run game going. Adding bigger bodies can help with that too. Because you're and then you're you're putting the defense at a disadvantage because if you can get two and three tight ends out on the field, if you can run and pass out of those looks, it gives you so much flexibility as an offense. I, I just wonder if if Tyler Boyd leaves this offseason, which we're kind of thinking he will, if Charlie Jones or Andre Yoshivas doesn't automatically pick up that slot role, do the Bengals go with a, a two tight end look on more on more plays next season? Do they mix in some three through three tight end looks? Obviously, they'll have to add some tight ends to actually do that because all yeah. their tight ends are free agents. I just wonder if this is kind of an idea and maybe it's a cyclical NFL thing that we'll see a lot of teams moving in this direction. But I just I kind of wonder if this is a thing that the, the Bengals and Zach Taylor are looking at and say, hey, we, we could be a little different here. This is something we might look at. Yeah. And even if they do sign all those tight ends, they're all kind of one trick ponies yeah. where you, you know, you, I don't know if you want to go 13 with with Tanner Hudson in there and Mitch Wilcox's guys that you're going on to block. And so they need, they need to get some well-rounded tight ends. And then the other thing too, when you mentioned that it, I would like, I didn't watch a lot. I mean, I watched the chiefs when, when they were on, they were on a lot mm-hmm. and it, I didn't dive into it. But one thing I noticed is a lot of times when they're in that 12, they're in that 13 that yes, they pass a lot, but a lot more of those little pop passes. Sure. And the, and, the, and so that, that's almost an extension of the run game, and I think that is something that the Bengals could. I mean, I, Charlie Jones could be a weapon in that. Um, Yoshivas could. Yeah. I don't know about Jamar. I, I've seen enough of those stretch runs from him. He's just <laughs> he's so great with the ball in his hands after a catch. It's so weird yeah. that he's not able. It's just a different because he runs like a running back. It's so yes. weird. It, you, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's almost like the. It's a it's a foreign concept of, of letting the block the the block set up and yeah. playing off of those. He just wants to get it and go, or or the, he does the complete opposite, where he just strings it out so far and then he's pinned and he doesn't yeah. have anywhere to go. Um, if they could figure out a way to make that work, that that would be a, a weapon as well. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm with you, and and I think maybe we will. I mean, they've they've been open to to kind of changing their philosophy and going more under center. Um, and that got delayed by the Burrow injury. Um, but I with Dan Pitcher in there, kind of a, a new face, some new ideas, um, maybe that is good. Brian and, and Zach talking all the time about how they share a brain. Maybe you don't necessarily – that's a good in some ways, but mm-hmm. maybe it is good to get a, a newer, fresher perspective in there. And, and that's one thing we know that Zach will do. He will listen to the other guys in the room. And, and maybe it's not a, an instant change, but they try it out a little more. And then you start seeing success off of it, and then they can build off of it. So um, I do. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, we've, we've seen the Bengals scrap things in season, right, and yeah. change their offense in season. So I, I, the question of whether the Bengals are willing to explore new ideas, I, I don't think that really is a question. They definitely are. Whether or not they'll actually implement it, I guess, remains to be seen. Uh, Jay, another takeaway from you. Um, okay, so this is more of a, a down the road kind of thing, and and I just think 
the, what Spags has done in Kansas City is just so impressive. And yeah, when when these when these positions, the coordinator positions, come up, a lot of times it's about the the new hot young guy. Mm-hmm. I think I mean just what we were talking about before, the way that these teams can be so multiple and versatile and can change from game plan to game plan, from half to half. I think there's great value in in a experienced, older defensive coach um, just to be able to play that chess game with the offenses. And, you know, I'm, I'm not writing Lou off yet, but if, you know, if the, if the Bengals play well in 2024 and get back and make a deep run, then maybe teams come after him. And um, that's something the Bengals should consider is, is mm-hmm. going and getting a, a, a veteran, an older, experienced defensive coordinator instead of looking for the, the hot young guy coming up. And, I, I mean, Mike McDonald did a fantastic job in Baltimore. I'm not saying that that, that way can't work, but mm-hmm. I just – Spags is the, the MVP. I, yeah, Mahomes is great, but what, yeah. what Spagnuolo has done this year has been so impressive. And really, there, there's no way that team is in the Super Bowl again if, if they don't have him. Just what they've been able to do with – how limited the offense was early in the year, and mm-hmm. the defense really kind of took control. And especially, you know, when you look at the the contracts that the Bengals are going to be paying Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow and Orlando Brown, and and on and on and on, they're gonna you're gonna need young guys. And yeah. and and we saw it that you if you've got young guys, you've got to have an experienced guy. And it didn't work out this year. Lou wasn't able to get through to them and and prevent those mistakes, but. You're going to have to rely on younger talent, and it, I just think that there's so much more value in, in having an older, experienced guy that's kind of seen it all. Um, again, not writing off Lou, not not wishing him away, but good chance that he that he does move on at some point, and I, I think that's the direction they should go is try to look for a Spags type. I think that's a really good point. You look at what Spagnolo has done. It's yes, he has Chris Jones, who's an absolute superstar, but he has worked in a lot of young players, especially yeah. in the secondary. Trent McDuffie was a first round pick. Joshua Williams was a mid round pick. Jalen Watson was a, I think, seventh round pick, and he was starting last year in his rookie season. Brian Cook from Cincinnati and in, as in a, a safety, and then. We talked about adding those kind of veteran cheap pieces, too. He mixes those in as well. A guy like Mike Edwards, who signed from the Buccaneers as a safety. A guy like Drew Tranquil, who signed from the Chargers, a linebacker who, who has played a really, really good role as a blitzer for, for Steve Spagnuolo. I think, again, just it, knowing what how to use specific guys. Drew Tranquil is not a guy you want in coverage, so Steve Spagnuolo doesn't use him in coverage. He uses him in a blitzer and moving forward. That's that's what you want. And I think Luna Rumo has mostly shown the ability to do that, too. I do wonder if Lou was ever going to get a chance, though. I, I wrote an article this week about the forgotten head coaching candidates. Steve Spagnuolo was the headliner on that list. Mm-hmm. He didn't get a single interview request this year, not one. Jim Schwartz was the coordinator of the Cleveland Browns defense, which was top two in every single metric along with the Browns. He's been a head coach before. Didn't get a single request this offseason. I just I wonder how 60-plus older defensive coaches, if they're if it's ever going to be back in vogue to go after those guys. I don't know. We'll, we'll see if Lou ever gets the chance. I, I would say this hiring cycle's history is not was not kind to Lou or his prospects moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it seems it always used to be kind of a retread thing where they, if you were a head coach, you would, mm-hmm. you would get other opportunities. And now it has almost gone the other way where they yeah. if someone had, was a head coach and it didn't work out, then, then just – write that person off and, and yeah. look for the new hot young per- person. So It's the same in general managers too. I think Tom Telesco was hired as the Raiders GM. He is only the second retread GM in the entire NFL, along with mm-hmm. Trent Baalke and the Jaguars. They just, 
not not a lot of teams giving guys second chances. I think in terms of decision makers this offseason. Um, I've got one more takeaway, Jay. This one is another team building one. It's basically don't be the Buffalo Bills from a team building perspective. What I mean by that is this. The Bills, for a long time, were one of the most methodical teams in the NFL from from a team-building roster perspective. They did not go out and sign huge, significant free agents. They they made targeted signings on modest contracts, depth pieces, you know, league-average starters. I, I thought Brandon Bean was one of the best GMs in the NFL for a long time, and I'm not saying he's not anymore, but... They changed a lot in the in the spring of 2022 when they went out and gave Von Miller a six-year, $120 million contract with two years of full base salaries guaranteed and part of his 2024 base salary guaranteed. Von Miller was, I think, 33 at the time, had come, come off multiple injuries, had missed an entire season with a torn ACL. Von Miller has done essentially nothing since coming to, to Buffalo Bills. He's been hurt. He's been ineffective. He's gotten in legal trouble. Honestly, the best chance for the Bills now is that he ends up getting suspended and they can get out of that his rest of his guarantees. That that's their best hope. They also that spring gave Stefan Diggs a, a huge extension, four years, almost a hundred million with a ton of guarantees that they didn't really need to give him at that time. Bills are now going to be fifty-one million dollars over the cap heading in next season. And if you look at their roster, there are not a ton of little financial levers they can pull either. Usually it's you see teams that are so far over the salary cap like the Saints, and you think, oh, they can restructure so many contracts and they can push money to the future and the bills can do that and they can get under the cap. But I was messing around with the the cap calculator at, on overthecap.com. Even if you restructure just about everybody you can and cut just about everybody you can, the bills are going to have like $10 million to work with in salary cap this year. Mm-hmm. They're already leveraged to the hilt. They have not gotten to the mountaintop and now they're not going to, they have nowhere else to go. They're just going to have to bring back the same aging, decrepit roster and hope that it works next year i don't think that's where you want to be luckily i think most Bengals fans can assume the Bengals aren't going to put themselves in that position sure they've gone out and paid for orlando brown and trey hendrickson but those were not the kind of deals i think they're going to set your salary cap back you know two three years and put yourself in a position where the bills are now i think that the Bengals have kind of already learned this lesson and that, that that's kind of how they operate but I think as the Bengals continue to, you know, build up their roster and Joe Burrow advances in his career, you don't you don't want to get into a point where you feel like you have to make a move like the Von Miller signing because odds are it's not going to work out and it's only going to hurt your roster long term. Yeah, and you see that coming where you know you're kind of mortgaging the future, so to speak, to make that signing. And the Bengals are just they've made a lot of changes over the, the these last few years, but that's a bedrock principle that I don't think is ever going to change. And and Duke has been adamant about it, that we are not going to sacrifice one year for the benefit of another year. Every single year matters. And I know that drives people crazy because you're so close. It's like, just go get that piece to push you over the top. But there's no guarantees. Like look, look at Buffalo. They, they haven't, they haven't even got back to an uh, AFC championship game since they signed those two guys. Yeah. So it, it, it is, that's a really good point where, you know, I, I don't think you have to worry about it, but it it's still a lesson to be looked at where, you know, the, the Bengals I don't think are are gonna be in that, hey, let's let's just go for it. The F them picks mindset right, kind of, right, that, that the right. Rams have. Which by the way, they said F them picks and then they were back in the playoffs two years later, which sure. is pretty impressive. Um so, you know, I don't I don't know that the Bengals are gonna look at that and be like, Hey, maybe that that would work. I think that's there are some values that this organization has that they just are never going to change, and that's one of them. 
And I think it's interesting, too, that if the Bills viewed the Von Miller signing as this will put us over the top, I think even that is kind of misguided, right? Because Mm. you want to build a contender that can get into the playoffs every year. After that, yes, obviously the talent on the teams, it matters, but there's a lot of luck involved in the playoffs. Like mm-hmm. signing Von Miller is not going to like automatically get make sure that you win a Super Bowl. I, I think that's kind of like a fool's errand. You, you just want to make sure that you are building a consistent contender every year and that you don't put yourself in a position where you're going to have to write off an entire season to get your salary cap in order. Like that's not what you want. And I know you're right. I don't think the Bengals are in any danger of that, but it's kind of a good, it's a good warning that, that you don't want to put yourself in that position. Um, Jay, next takeaway from you. Yeah, my last one, and it's I don't know where to go with this. It just I see a lot of similarities in Dan Campbell and Zach Taylor in terms of their reliance on analytics mm. and their aggression. And I don't and no one's really as aggressive as Dan, but Zach is. And I, I'm sitting there, you know, watching those decisions thinking, hmm, what would the Bengals do in this situation? And yeah, I don't know. I I I I guess, you know, at some point, maybe at the combine, we can ask Zach what he thought yeah. about those. But it, it was just, it, it's a little different because the the Bengals have a kicker that they can trust 100%. They are never afraid to send Evan McPherson out. And I think that's always in the back of Dan Campbell's mind is, you know, Badgley's, he's a little erratic. And, and oh, yeah. uh, you know, not to say that's that's why he's aggressive, but it just, it increases that the amount. Certainly. I'm just, I don't know. I was watching, and, and so my wife didn't watch the first game with me. She came down, she was watching the NFC game with me. Um, she didn't watch the first game because she's a Bengals fan and she was she didn't want to root for either team. So that's why she <laughs> set that one out. And she was really hoping the Lions would be the team and rooting for the underdog kind of thing. And so everybody focuses on the, the two fourth down decisions in the second half. The one I disagreed the most with Dan Campbell on was the one at the end of the first half. Mm. It's it's fourth and goal at the three. There's 10 seconds left. You've got a chance to bury them by by 20, 21, go up 28-7. And not just that, but I just I felt like it was out of character for him to kick the field goal there. And it just puts that little bit of doubt in the opponent, like, hey, they're they're not playing the way they normally do. They're still concerned about us. And and I just, it, like I said, it's you're at the three-yard line. Basically, it's a two-point conversion. Two-point conversions at the two-and-a-half yard line. You know they had to have had a couple th- two-point plays in there that they loved. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. You're still up 14. If, if someone asked you before the game, would you, you're going to be up 14 at halftime, you'd sign up for that in a heartbeat. And I just, I thought they really had a chance to bury the the 49ers if they went for it there and got a touchdown. I, I Yes, it was nice to get the field goal and go up three scores, but I just, I felt like it kind of sent a message that you're stepping outside of what you normally do. And then second half, no problem whatsoever with the, their, their opening drive when they went for it on fourth and I believe it was fourth and two. Yeah. Um, and Josh Reynolds dropped the ball. I mean, every, the decision was right. The play call, everything was right. The guys just got to catch the ball. The last one. Yeah. I just, I, I, you got to kick the field goal there. I understand it. Why they didn't because you're going to need a stop either way. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost, it, I kind of see where he, he said, go for it because there's seven and a half minutes left. So if you kick the field goal, 
basically, you know, it's probably going to be a two for the, the 49ers are going to get two possessions to year one. Yeah. So you're tied and they're going to have two chances. And if you miss the field goal, it's kind of the same thing. They're even 10 yards closer to, to scoring again. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you've got that the same time element there where if you get it, then you can milk some more time off the clock, maybe take the lead. Still, a field goal is in play. Get a little closer. I mean, that one would have been a 48-yarder for Badgley. That's not a that's not a gimme by any stretch of the imagination. But you milk some more clock, maybe get the field goal later, and then the 49ers only get one chance. I just I don't get the people hammering Dan Campbell. I I, I didn't think any of those were egregiously poor decisions, but I still probably would have done the opposite on two of the three. <laughs> It, it's a. I mean, I I feel like the analytics battle within the NFL is not even a battle. Like in in the NFL, like I, I think everyone, most everyone in the NFL, coaches, everybody is kind of aware of these numbers mm-hmm. and everything. There's certain people in the media we don't need to go into right now that are I feel like are trying to make this an issue that it's really not. I didn't have any problem with anything Dan Campbell did really at all. Uh, I, I I do disagree with you, Jay, on the on the field goal before half for one reason that I I, I think. Y- the reason that you go for it in those situations during games when you're so close to the goal line, at least part of the reason is if you don't get it, you've backed up the other team right up against their own goal line. At the end of half, that's that's not going to be an advantage. You're going to half either way. So I, I didn't have a problem with that. I, I could have seen uh, the the first fourth down on, on, the, on the Lions' first drive of the second half. I could see kicking a field goal there, honestly, to, to make it a 27-10 game, to be up three possessions with seven minutes left in the third. I could have seen that. I, I wouldn't have had a problem with that. But you look at you know Ben Baldwin's site that, that does the, the fourth down bot mm-hmm. and trackers. Both of those fourth down decisions were about a 2% change in win probability. At that point, I don't have a huge issue with either way. If it's a three, four, five percent change in win probability, I think then you're kind of like, okay, there's an obvious decision to make here. Two percent, eh, you know, I, I'm fine with Campbell going with his gut, and he's been doing this all season long. Right. You know, why is he going to change now? I think if I were a head coach, if I have decided I'm going to go with what the analytics tell me and I'm going to make the optimal decision every single time. Then I wouldn't even think about it. I would just say, "What's the number? All right, let's do it." Because if you're if you're adjusting based on your internal thoughts, then what's the point of doing it in the first place? You know, I, I'm honestly so sick of people saying that. Oh, can these models actually uh, take into account the weather and the game situation and and the and the opponent? Yes, they can, and they can do it better than a human mind can as well. I, I think so. I have no problem with following those models. Um, going back to Ben Baldwin's data. He had Dan. So they track how often coaches go for it on fourth downs, like how often they should. Dan Campbell was number five this year. Zach Taylor was number 31, which kind of surprised me. I was it kind of surprised me on, on that. Uh, going back to last year, Dan Campbell was number four. Zach Taylor was number 23. So they actually have him a little bit lower in terms of how often he's going for fourth downs, which which does surprise me a little bit because I agree. I feel like Zach Taylor has gotten better at that in terms of knowing when to go for those those fourth downs. Yeah, well, and the reason that he was so low is that they feel like as soon as you cross midfield, you can you can have Evan McPherson yeah. kick a field goal, whereas other teams are probably going to have to punt. There's a big difference there between punting yeah. and, and kicking the field goal. But and it was they did they had a lot of plus fifty um, decisions to make this year. It was yeah. it was higher than it's been in the past. And what you said about uh, you know my mind just went back to the, the the reason you do it in normal cases go for it close to the goal line is to make the other team drive the length of the field. I mean. We just have to look back to the 2021 AFC Championship of course. game when, yes. when Kansas City tried to throw that quick out. And, and was it Tyreek, I believe? And Eli yeah. Apple made the tackle. And yeah. that really 
turned the tide of that game. That was it, yeah. And so, you know, had they kicked a field goal there, who knows? Maybe Kansas City would be going to their fifth straight Super Bowl. And that's the thing, too, with Michael Badgley on the Lions. that I think people are forgetting. They're just assuming these these kicks were going to go in. And that's an easy thing yeah. to say. It's like, you know, these are 45-plus yard kicks. Michael Badgley has not been on the Lions roster very long. He, this is a, a journeyman kicker. This is not Evan McPherson. This is not Harrison Butker or Justin Tucker, whoever else. So I think to, to assume that, oh, that's six free points you gave up? Well, no, it's probably – you know, 80% of six, it's, you know, it's either yeah. you're not going to, you're not actually or automatically getting those points. Um, Jay, any other takeaways? Was that your last one? Is it your last? Yeah, yeah that was my game? last one. I think there's a lot of lessons there. Honestly, I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that Bengals can kind of take away that, from these games. And, and these are the teams they're going to have to beat if they want to get back there next season. So I think this is a good exercise just to kind of look at how these teams were built, the things that they're doing in game and what the Bengals can take away. So I think it's, it's a worthwhile exercise. The last thing we wanted to touch on before we go is we have a new mock draft from Adam Kaplan at PFN. He's our NFL insider. He has his latest mock draft up at Pro Football Network, and we are going through it and looking at what he has for the Bengals. At number 18, he actually has the Bengals taking Georgia tight end Brock Bowers. Jay, I'm not a huge college football guy, but I am aware of Brock Bowers and who he is. I think most people are. It'd be an interesting addition, I think, think to to this Bengals offense. I mean, I, I think you have to question positional value of, of taking a, a tight end that early. We've seen, you know, Kyle Pitts in Atlanta, who obviously went a lot higher at number four, but not really work out. And it, if you take someone in the first round as a tight end, they they have to deliver at a pretty high level to be worth to be worth that early of a pick. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Do you think that a tight end will be a, a consideration? I don't even know if Brock Bowers will fall that late. I mean, he's a really good player. I, I could see other teams being interested in adding a tight end like him, given we just talked about how all these teams that are left in the dance still had a really good tight end. I mean, what do you think about Bowers? Is he a guy you think the Bengals are considered? I, I don't know. I, I don't think he'll be available. I think it's moot. Um, I, I, I really do think he's going to be a, a top 10 guy. Um, you know, we talk about the Bengals. The, you always look at what they do in the past, and they've, they've done this. They did Jermaine Gresham in the first round. They did Tyler Eifert in the first round. So it's not yeah. it's not out of character for him. I, I think they realize that they need to value the position more, but I'm not so sure that this is the year to do it. I mean, I think Bauer's going to be fantastic, generational tight end. If he is there, yes, you have to consider it. But they have so many other needs, yeah. and I, I think you can you can get a, a, a tight end that you can develop a little bit later without it being just kind of a wing and a prayer like the Irv Smith signing was. Yeah. I think they feel really good uh, about what Tanner Hudson can be he can he can be maybe better than cj and and hayden as a receiver i don't think he's ever going to be the blocker those guys were so i i I just think the main thing is that he's he's probably not going to be there and one thing you guys can do if you go on our site and and play around with the simulator it's it's totally free it's really cool i did just real quick before we came on i did five quick simulations on the on the first four Bowers and Latham, the, the the tackle from Alabama that a lot of people think that the Bengals should take, they were both gone by the time the Bengals picked yeah. at 18. On the fifth one, they were both available. <laughs> so that would be really interesting. Um, in, in all of them, there were three offensive tackles already gone by the time they picked at 18. So it's a, it, it's a really strong class. People are saying like five, maybe six with first-round grades. Mm-hmm. So I know sometimes you get leery where – you know, the top three are off the board. Do you want to take the fourth best at a position? Yeah. Um, 
I, I still I think defensive tackle, offensive tackle are the most likely at, at 18. But if Bowers is there, you you definitely have to think about it. And a lot of it's going to come down to the physical too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he was hurt this year. What what does that look like? Um, Combine is going to be big for him. So Adam had. Penn State's Olufashano going number three to the Patriots. Notre Dame's Joe Alt going number seven to Tennessee. And then, as you mentioned, Latham from Alabama went off the board to the Jets at number 10. I thought it was interesting. He uh, Adam had the next three picks right after the Bengals taking Bowers. He had yeah. offensive tackles coming off the board. So uh, Amarius Mims from Georgia to number 19. Uh, Talese Fuaga to the Steelers, number 20. And then Jordan Morgan from Arizona at number 21 to the Dolphins. Number 22, I thought was interesting, too. He had Alabama's cornerback, Kool-Aid McKinstry, going to the Eagles, who I've seen projected to the Bengals in quite, in quite a few drafts, too, if they went cornerback. Um, I don't know. They, the Bengals have taken tight ends, as you mentioned, in the first round. But you've been pretty good recently about sticking to, like, the premium positions, I mm-hmm. think. The positions that you're – the thing is, like, you, you want to get a good return on investment on these rookie contracts because these guys are so cheap on these slotted deals that – if you take a premium position like offensive tackle or corner or even defensive tackle at this point, you're, you're really getting a good deal in terms of the rookie contract. You take a tight end and he's an average guy, eh, you're not really getting that good of a deal. You're not you're not getting that return on investment. I, I, I'd be surprised if Bowers was there as well. But yeah, if he's there, you consider it. But, but I think you would want to focus on different positions, I think. Um, but yeah, everyone make sure to check out our PFN mock draft simulator. I, I, of course, I'm biased, but I think it's the best on the market. I use it all the time leading up to the draft. And we'll put the link in the description of this episode, too. So go, go check that out. Use it as much as you can up to the draft. Um, that is our episode for today, Jay. You got anything else before we sign off? We don't have any actual real action to look forward to this week. We've got some fake football action to look forward to. But any anything yeah. else before we sign off? Yeah, no, I'm, I I don't know. what if, if you had to watch one or the other, would you watch the Senior Bowl or would you watch – the Pro Bowl games. I would watch the Senior Bowl personally. I yeah. I've long boycotted the the Pro Bowl. I don't I don't respect it. I won't consider it. I no, no, it's not for me. I like I mean I like the gimmicky you know kind of the battle of the network stars type you know the tug of wars and yeah. football and all that kind of stuff. I think it's interesting. I think it lets the players' personalities show. Um, it, it, the Bengals only having two guys there. I kind of lessens the excitement. But mm-hmm. You always have to keep an eye on Jamar. You never know what that guy's going to say yeah, or do. Uh, Trey Hendrickson, I'm not sure he's going to say anything when he's out there. It was no, I mean, Joe Mixon had a, a $500,000 incentive, mm. in, and he was a first alternate. And I, I thought maybe Raheem Mostert might have, he had that injury at the end of the year. I yeah. thought he might have tapped out. If it was a real Pro Bowl, he probably would have. But just yeah. to run around, play flag football, I think he's going to show up and you know, I don't know if I don't even know if Mixon would have got the half a million bonus by making it as an alternate. I don't know how. I think works. they're usually to like original ballot. I, yeah. I believe they're usually tied to original ballot stuff. Yeah. But and and as I mentioned earlier, great to see Kevin Zeitler finally make. Yeah. He was one of the best guys to talk to in the in the Bengals locker room. Uh, he, his rookie year was my first year covering the team. Um, just a really good guy. Uh, very, very happy to to see him finally make one of these Pro Bowls. Long overdue. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is our episode for today. Everyone, thanks for listening. Please give us a review, subscribe, like, all the good stuff. Uh, enjoy this weekend of Pro Bowl, Senior Bowl action, whichever one you're going to choose to watch. We will be back <laughs> next week.